0: Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practise regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hi everyone, CJ here for another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. Uh, I'm glad that you're back with us. And uh, as most of you would know, last week I discussed the fact that I'm going to do themed months. So July is finances. So this week, we are talking about income generation. God, I can't even say that properly, income generation. Um, But before we get into that, I just want to let you know that um, over the next couple of weeks, hopefully, um, I'll be putting out a um, series of... um, webinars it'll probably be one or two webinars that'll be attached together and they're going to be discussing the things that you need to know if you're deciding whether or not you would like to start homesteading and I'm going to have two because it's going to have um, an urban homesteading component as well as a more rural homesteading component. And I'd like to be able to cover off on everybody that wants to get into homesteading. Uh, So keep your eye out for that. It will, there will be a cost attached, but it will be a very minimal cost attached. Um, I just, I need to cover my costs for putting the webinars out there. So, uh, but I really want to get that information out there for people that are thinking maybe they'd like to try homesteading, but they're not sure if it's for them. Well, these webinars will kind of cover off on all the questions that you might have. Anyway, um other than that things are going well on the farm here and uh as I've started doing these themed months idea I am actually um got so many things I want to talk about this month but uh, income is obviously a huge part of that now for some people um talking about money is a dirty word um I've just started at the beginning of this year so halfway through the year I'm halfway through you know catching up on everything uh, I did uh, I signed up to do Denise Duffield Thomas's money boot camp. And oh my god, it opened my eyes to the way that I talk about money. You know, I used to talk about money being dirty and things like that, which I still laugh about because as a um, as a law enforcement officer, um, when she was talking about how we shouldn't refer to money as dirty and things like that, because money's not dirty, the what people do with the money is the issue. Um, all I could think about was she's never searched a person in custody <laughs> and seen where they can pull money out of. <laughs> Believe me, you don't want to know. Well, I'm sure you can guess. Most of you are adults, I'm sure you can guess where they pull their money out of. Uh, but that that's why I always look at it and go, oh my God, money is dirty. But not in the, um, not in the philosophical sense, but in the actual physical sense. Um, anyway, income generation we're going to talk about income generation today uh, and I've got a few things that I want to touch on that relate to it but before I do let's just talk about the fact that as a homestead you absolutely need to create an income stream. Um, Homesteading is like so many other small businesses in that it's very variable Um, so we have seasonal products and that means that the income generated from those products is also seasonal and uh, like Any other small business. So just say, for example, if you think of a a gift shop down at you know beachy coastal area, you can guarantee that they have a higher turnover in the summer and holiday months than they do in the winter and cold, gloomy months, where people don't necessarily want to be down the coast or the beach. Um, unfortunately they still have exactly the same costs in running their business. It doesn't change. It's just the income that changes. So they still have to pay their rent on the shop and, and staff, although they probably have casuals that they put on in summer to cover the extra work, but they still have all the same costs and the income generated will never, never be quite as high in those winter months as what it would be in summer. Homesteading's not really any different. Um, it's just that our products tend to be best sold fresh um, and they're, tend to be freshest during the spring and summer and some during the autumn months Um, and you know I mean at the end of the day you can do things to uh, make the products last a bit longer cold storage um, preserving things like that but the vast majority of farming and homesteading products are are best sold fresh and and therefore best sold during those uh, summer spring kind of times um Traditional farming practices, so monocropping farming practices, uh, are a really good solid foundation for for income generation, but they are in a larger scale. So if you've got 400 acres of canola that you're cropping, uh, obviously you you have a lot higher costs in generating that 400 acres worth, but you're also getting a lot bigger paycheck at the end of the time. Um, And that generally, most farmers that I know have uh, accounts that um, have overdraw facilities and things like that where they um, can still afford to do the things that they need to do for day-to-day living uh, because they know that they're going to get this massive paycheck at the end of the season. And that paycheck will generally keep them going for months and months and months afterwards. With homesteading, it's a little bit different because we don't have that... um, massive dump of cash injection on selling a huge crop of a product what we have is more regular week-to-week kind of uh, products but we definitely still have the seasonal aspects of you know is a, in spring we probably have a, a dump of produce that we're trying to sell um, and in summer we would still you know depending on the weather and where you are would still have that that dump of products coming through and if you had cold storage you, you could certainly be storing products so that you have a equal amount going out each week but come autumn it, start, autumn it starts to peter off and for most of us that live in a normal you know four seasons kind of climate in a year um we through winter we're not going to have the same produce output i mean I've tried growing broccoli, I've got to be honest. I am useless at growing broccoli. I don't know how people do it, but that's one of the crops that I can grow here in winter. And it's something I need to get better at <laughs> because obviously I would like to have some kind of generation of income still coming through those winter months. Um, but you know, I make goat's milk soap, which I'm hoping to start doing at a level where I can sell it through the winter months. So that's, you know, you just have to play it out that way. Um, I think the main thing for small farmers that we need to realize is that we need to diversify our income. And in diversifying our income, I mean, we need to have fresh products. We need to have you know products that can be stored and sold through winter months. We need to be able to value add to our products so that when we, you know, have a glut of strawberries, well, we make strawberry jam and then we can sell off strawberry jam, um, that type of value add. Um and I think it's really important and certainly from my experience doing the Denise Duffield Thomas, Thomas um, money bootcamp, we have to remember that money is not the baddie here. Um, it, it's a really important situation to say that everybody deserves to be paid what their products are worth and, and why should you not get paid for what your products are worth? Um, I've gone through a phase where I've sold my eggs super, super cheap and I've come out the other side going, no, you know what? I have pasture-raised eggs that are awesomely fresh, good quality. Everybody that buys them comments on the taste and how much better they taste than other eggs that they've bought at the shops. Why should I say, oh, no, 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 I'll sell my eggs nice and cheap, you know, so that everybody can get them. No, it, it costs me X amount of dollars to make my eggs and then there's my time and the value of me, you know, take them into town to sell to people there's a cost attached to all that I need to be paid to cover not only my costs but my time and effort that's gone in as well and in the past farmers have definitely undervalued their time and effort and undervalued what they put into it but the you know we've got consumers that are getting a lot more savvy about things these days and Homemade and regeneratively farmed products are definitely worth more than standard products for several reasons. The main one being that if they're regeneratively produced they are way better for the environment. Like I'm talking we're improving the environment not just keeping it even. So you know it's important to look at it as far as sustainability versus regenerative. Sustainability Sustainable products means to maintain the systems without degrading them, but regenerative practices recognize the current impact and seek to restore the system while also improving the productivity of of the output, the produce that we're getting. So if you are producing regeneratively sourced products, then you deserve to be paid for that. You're actually improving the environment. Why should you not get top dollar? So money's not the baddie. We do need to be paid um, for what we're doing, and it, you know it doesn't mean the end of sustainability. God, I'm having troubles with maces today. Um, it's not the end for sustainability. There are um, systems operating where sustainable production is is perfect. It's great. It's working. It's awesome. Regenerative systems are just a little bit better. And when we can move to that, where 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 it's possible to move to that, then we absolutely should be moving to that uh, because it's definitely, you know, like the end of the day, uh, and, you know, I go back to that book that I read that I spoke about a couple of episodes ago, um, The Great Plant-Based Con, agriculture is not killing the environment. Agriculture has the ability to um, save the environment, and but it has to be done right and I'm not a fan of monocropping, even though I know that there are some farms out there that that's what they've always done, that's what they'll always do. And and where consumers want their soy latte, um, then monocropping has to happen because to produce the amount of soy needed to make soy milk, um, that's, that's the only way it's going to happen. But as time goes on, I, I believe that the community can be educated towards regenerative farming, in which case it's going to make it financially viable for homesteaders and small farmers to do regenerative farming systems, and when that happens, hey, we'll all be <laughs> we'll all be happy. And let's face it, by that definition, farmers and homesteaders, by all rights, <laughs> practicing regenerative farming should be millionaires. Um, I'm not sure that the community have caught up with that yet. But when they do, well, yeah. So I want to discuss a few things for income generation that go beyond just selling products alone um you know there's there's lots of different avenues that you can go down and I think diversity is absolutely the key I mean it's like investing money um you don't put all your eggs in the one basket you definitely do not go I'm gonna buy all the one share if you're the best way to invest and I'm I should qualify this I am no accountant I'm not an investment advisor but the best way to invest is to spread your risk and um, spread the load. So buy some shares in one company, buy some shares in another company, buy some in another one, maybe have a portfolio where there's a variety of different shares being bought. It it reduces your risk and it will capitalise your gains. So it's the way to go. So same applies for homesteading. Reduce your risk of putting all your eggs in the one basket and have a diversity of income coming in and you've got more chance of you yeah, know making money. So, the first thing I want to talk about obviously is selling products. But uh yeah, the most common income streams for homesteaders is, is selling fresh produce. So, eggs, fruit, veggies, honey, nuts, seedling seeds, that type of thing. Um, you yeah, know also, you know wool and timber and you know meat and there's lots of other variations, but you get what I mean. Selling products is the main one. But Think outside the circle for a second and consider expanding your range to cover off on value-added goods. So jams, preserved, baked goods, homemade crafts. Value-adding um, to your products will significantly increase, increase their market appeal and profitability it broadens your horizons as far as your customer base so somebody who might only ever buy strawberries off you but thinks hmm yeah if if it was homemade jam if it was you know jam made from these strawberries yeah i'd pay for that um you know grab that customer take them you want customers that sing your praises um so for example i had a quick look before i started recording on etsy um, at the moment um washed say you've got washed, dyed and spun wool, but just say you're just selling it as raw wool at the moment. So washed raw wool on Etsy is getting $27.50 a kilo. Uh, however, the spun wool of the same weight is selling for fifty-seven forty-five a kilo. That's insane. That's like double, but it's only going to work for you if spinning is something that you know how to do, if preparing wool is something that you know how to do or, or that you can teach yourself and it's no hassle to you to do it. It's not a it's not a huge learning curve. It's not taking hours and hours and hours to get to that. If it's taking hours and hours and hours to get to a kilo of wool, well, then it's not worth it probably. But if spinning wool is something that you find really easy and you sit down while you're watching TV and spin, that's what my mum used to do. Um Or she'd sit and listen to the radio and be spinning wool at the same time. Um, then then why not? Why not value you add to what your raw product and and sell it for twice the amount? It's awesome. Uh, for those on larger acreages, also to don't be put off by selling a whole cow, a whole sheep, goat, for meat. Um, I know uh, one of my workmates who's on acreage. He sells a whole sheep, but what he does is he sells a sheep before he even has it go off to butcher. So he has a butcher that does the butchering for him, um, but he sells half a sheep before it goes to the butcher. And the cost of the sheep is the butchering plus half the cost of the sheep. And the person gets a packaged half sheep, or you can buy a quarter sheep, or you can buy a whole sheep if you've got enough freezer space. Um, It's an awesome little system where you're not really spending a lot of money before you're getting the money in. Uh, We've also just started looking here because we're on 120 acres. We've just started looking at selling firewood and timber, um, which through the winter months, and if you live in a cold area, through the winter months, uh, firewood's always in demand. So that's an awesome option. The next one uh, to look at is farm to table. Now, um, it's an option that we haven't tried yet. But um, I certainly this summer am planning on giving it a little bit of a toe in the water kind of go. Um, So it's a good way to capitalise on a growing local interest in sustainable food. Um, Certainly more and more people that I speak to want to know where their food comes from and they want to know that it's sourced locally because they see that as reducing uh, transport carbon footprints uh, as far as their food being carted, you know. It's like those the the vegans that hate the meat situation where they go no but i live on avocados they get flown in from florida to the uk so that i can have my avocados on toast um but but cows are killing the environment you know it's people want to reduce that carbon footprint of transport i don't think anybody's silly enough to think that cows are worse than than trucks when it comes to carbon footprint And please don't think for a second I'm bashing the truck drivers. I love truck drivers. They're awesome. Without truck drivers, Australia would not move. Um, But at the same time, if you can source products locally, if you can source meat and vegetables locally, well, that's going to reduce the carbon footprint. It can't be a bad thing. Um, Some of the things that you could do, for example, would be, say, to host farm dinners. Um, Of course, obviously, you need to make sure you comply with regulations as far as health and safety and things like that. But uh, cooking classes, if they're just say you're a cheesemaker, I'll take my hat off to you if you are, I'm still learning. Uh, if you're a cheesemaker, I know a lot of the wineries, I live in an area where there's lots of wineries and they have tasting events to showcase their wines all the time. Uh, in some cases they do it for free, which is awesome. You are gonna have a little sample of wine for free, but I would be happy to pay. I mean, at the end of the day, they've still got staff on, they've still got you know, overheads, you're still consuming some of their products. So yeah paying for it a small amount or that and they rebate one of the what local wineries um, charges twenty dollars a head for tasting but then you go and you do your tasting if you buy a bottle off them they give you twenty dollars back so you know it's a win-win you're more inclined to buy something once you've tasted something you like um, but can cons- and the really important thing is by connecting to con- those consumers directly to your farm, Not only are you creating a unique experience for them, but you're more likely to build up a really loyal customer base. Um, You know, you're giving them the opportunity to see where their food is produced. You might have the opportunity to open up your farm shop so that people can see all of your products. You know, they might have come out just because they wanted to see the baby goats out here, but then they might get into our little farm shop and go, oh, look, there's goat's milk soap. Oh, and fresh eggs. And... Oh, look, there's some Angora wool. Oh, well, I might take that too. You know, so opening up your customer base in that way to allow them to come and see everything that you have to offer will only increase your sales. Uh, certainly, at the end of um, coming into spring, so I've got Angoras all due at the end of August and I've got all my milking goats due at the beginning of September. And I am considering doing a meter goat kid. <laughs> this spring so after the goats are healthy and we know that they're feeding well and everything's tracking well I'm hoping to do an open day where I can say to people come out to the farm um there might be like a gold coin donation to for entry um because I want kids to be able to to experience it but at the same time I'll still have costs attached um but then I can also say, oh, and while you're out here, I have fresh eggs for sale. I have some Angora wool for sale. We have some fresh goat's milk soap for sale. If you'd like to buy it, it's there. And, and that saves me having to transport it into the farmer's markets or do my home deliveries that I do some of now. Um, and it also gives people the opportunity to see everything that we are actually selling and what we've got on offer. Um, it's something that, I would love to get into i think it would depend on how passionate you are if you're a really passionate cook or you make sourdoughs or you make butter or you make cheese then that would be a really great way to showcase that to have people come out and see how you do it um there's a lady that i follow over in the states um and she's absolutely awesome like really does the amazing things she farms rabbits for rabbit meat Now, some people might turn their nose up at that. I grew up eating rabbit meat. I have no problem with rabbit meat. In Australia, it's very hard for us to farm rabbit meat because we have wild rabbit population that has myxomatosis. So I've had a quick look at it, and I actually don't think we can farm rabbits here. So it's not an option for us, but it is an option for her in the States. And I saw the other day that she did an open day showing people how to process their own rabbits. So because people, it's one of the few things, and we talked about it last week with the Handy Helper, it's one of the things that people on homesteads really freak out about is, oh my God, what the fuck am I going to do? How am I going to kill this animal? I've never had to kill an animal before, and now I've got to dispatch an animal, um, skin it or, or de-feather it, pluck it, um, and and gut it and clean it and prep it for becoming actual meat that I'm going to consume and people don't know how to do that this lady has opened up her farm because she she dispatches all the rabbits she does all the prepping and cleaning for meat so um, she's opened up her farm to show people how to do it so that they actually learn how to do it themselves then they can go back to their farm or homestead and and do it themselves and she copped a bit of flack believe it or not she copped flack not from the vegan set she copped flack from other farmers because oh my god what are you doing why are you letting people in on our secrets goes back to that whole collaboration versus competitiveness that i talk about a lot anyway the next one that i wanted to i, I just wanted to shout out to her because she is i think it's some um, sun orchid rabbitry or something like that i'll have to look it up and put the link in the show notes she's she does some awesome work online she's really cool so next topic i want to talk about is agritourism. I love this idea. This is one of my big uh, future goals. I think I talked about last week on a social media post about what goals you have on your farm. Agritourism is one of my huge, huge future goals. So I have this picture in my head of this tiny house up the back paddock of our 120 acres with its own water tank, its own solar panels, bio toilet fire pit outside and renting it out like an airbnb and allowing people to come and stay in a rural environment knowing that they're not having any impact on the area around them they're just you know it's camping but but bougie camping um and you know having a welcome basket inside the tiny house with fresh eggs and honey and cheese and preserved foods for them to either consume while they're there for the weekend or to take home with them Um, even, you know, maybe, and I talk about collaboration later on, maybe even getting produce from other farms and putting that in the basket as well with little cards saying which farm it's from and, you know, that kind of thing. It exposes new customers to all of your products for future purchases. So it's a value add from the perspective of long-term customer value, um, and I just think it would be awesome. But you'd you'd probably also get return custom where they'd go, wow, that was so so nice coming and staying out there for the weekend. You know, maybe have it as a, you know, a off-grid off as in offline kind of experience where you don't have um, internet, mobile service, so they can just relax and read a book, you know, for the weekend and really unplug their brain for a weekend. I, I just think it would be a really awesome experience. Um, now, you know, it, that's not for everybody. I mean, there's a lot of people, homesteaders and farmers, who would not want somebody to come and stay on their property. That's fine too. You could still do agri tourism. So, if you don't have the space or you would rather not have people staying on the farm, then farm tours or workshops like what I talked about before, you know, why couldn't you have somebody come out for a meet the baby goat's day or come and hug a baby chicken or, you know, come and watch a cow get milked? Um, Come and see uh, an Angora goat getting shorn, or watch what I do with my, you know, fruit trees. Or maybe I'm I'm terrible at pruning fruit trees. So if somebody locally around here held a day where they said, "Come along, and I'll show you how to prune your fruit trees," and of course that's done in winter, so that would be a great like off season income producer. I would pay to go and see how to prune fruit trees properly by somebody who's an expert, better than me. I I do it but I still don't think i do it right. Um, But that type of experience, so a workshop kind of like that, or just a farm tour for people to come out and see how a working farm actually looks and see what, I mean, livestock, don't get me wrong. Everybody I know, every time I post a video of any of our animals, they go nuts. They just love it. TikTok, the only reason I have a following on TikTok, I'm sure, is because of baby goats, chooks and dogs. So... Sorry, just having a little sip of tea because I get dry talking for so long. Um, okay, so not only will agritourism give you generate an income for you, but it's also going to have that link of people that may be in your area, or not too far, you know, close enough to travel, who are urban dwellers who, you know, really might be really interested in rural living or you know, homesteading and not have any connection, not have any family they know that have a farm or anything like that, but they want to go out and see what it's like. Maybe they might even be interested in doing it themselves and they're not really sure what it involves or, or you know, what it would look like. Um, so that, I think agritourism is going to expand massively And I certainly, it's a big outlaying cost to get a tiny home and, you know, you still have to go through all the council loops and crap like that. So it's certainly um, a long-term goal for me, um, but it's, it's a goal. I think it would be great to have an Airbnb on the property or even two and have people being able to come out here and stay as a family group or maybe, you know, Um, cousins coming and staying together or siblings coming to stay together. It'd be awesome. Anyway, uh, the next one that I want to talk about is online platforms for sales. So generating income doesn't just have to be that face-to-face at the farmer's markets, uh, your customers at your local roadside stall, things like that. It doesn't have to just be that. If you have a product that is... um, would be suitable for online selling so preserved goods soaps soaps are a huge one that i'm thinking of with that um then there are so many platforms um it took me a little while i'm no computer tech (laughs) i'll admit that um but it took me a little while to get my head around shopify and amazon but i sell on both i have a shopify store under not the farmer's wife and i have an amazon store under mojo homestead and my amazon store with mojo homestead sells beeswax wraps and two eco-friendly boxes of products for kitchens and bathrooms respectively Um, and my shopify store sells funny farming print-on-demand products so i have car seat covers i have um, snuggle hooded blankets i've got t-shirts hoodies uh, mugs aprons all print on demand so designs that i've made or that i've purchased the rights to from somewhere else and I have them printed. You can go online, order it, it gets printed, gets sent direct to your address. So it's like a, um, uh, I forget what they call them, but it's like a, um, um, oh, I can't think of the word now, but anyway, it's so I've got the Shopify store, the Amazon store. Now, um, just because you want a simpler way of life as a homesteader, that doesn't mean you can't embrace these technologies. They are awesome. They do, there's costs attached, but there's costs attached to everything. I mean, I don't expect Amazon to sell my products and not charge me a fee when they're the ones going to all the hassle of setting up this huge website to get all these people in. I mean, at the end of the day, they've got all the cost um, uh, attached to keeping that website running, keeping their customers happy. Uh, So, of course, there's going to be a fee attached. I have no problem with that. Etsy charge a fee. I don't, Etsy fee I don't get, but it's, it seems to be a lot more expensive, but Um, eBay, I've got friends that sell on eBay and they say that the fees are quite respectable there, so that's always an option too. But you have to sit down and work out which one would suit you better, whether you want your own store, so go Shopify, or whether you want to join an established marketplace, which is Amazon, eBay, Etsy. And I would probably say to you, when you're first starting out, go Amazon, eBay or Etsy, uh, because you'll reach a much broader customer base and once you've got a little bit of a customer base up, then consider going the Shopify route, maybe. And and certainly, I am probably going to list my beeswax wraps onto my Shopify store shortly, so that um, so that you know they can they can be done through there, um, because that would then get me away from the Amazon fees. But I still have fees for Shopify too. Shopify charge you each month to have the store running. I just have a very small store, so it doesn't cost me a lot. Um, the other thing to utilize uh, for getting marketing if you are doing an online version so just say you've got soaps or walls that you're selling online is don't forget to utilize social media and content marketing strategies to get your products out there and to really engage with an audience and get a customer audience there um i i'm i hate to say it i loathe social media and at the same time i love it because it really gives me an opportunity to connect with so many people um But Instagram and Facebook, obviously, the two that um, I have the most leverage on. Um, And what I've found is reels. So doing the little snapshot videos are the winners. I I do static posts as well. I take photos of the animals and things like that. But, um, and I use Canva to do up a lot of my images like that to try and get information about the, the farm business out there. But doing reels on Instagram and Facebook and having them watch you know what we do with the animals or <laughs> we did a video a couple of weeks back of um, Luna our Merrima. she gets a day off once a week where she can leave the, the chicken and the goat paddock and just lay about in the sun or in her case usually lay about in the rain um, and I videoed her getting let out she knows when it's her time to come out and I let her out of the gate and she does zoomies all around the yard because she's so excited she's having her day off. And I videoed that. I think in the space of a week, it went from zero views to like 10,000 views. It was insane how quickly it went up. Uh, But people love seeing stuff like that. It's stuff they don't know about. It's different. It's a great way to get customers in. Uh, That being said, that did 10,000 views on TikTok. TikTok, I get very few business referrals from. Um, Instagram by far is my highest on on the business connections Facebook is a close second, and TikTok, even though I have a massive following in TikTok, uh, they are purely there to see videos of animals, they're not interested in buying stuff off me. So, you have to weigh up where you're going to put your energies and efforts um, when it comes to online platforms for selling. Um, certainly, I have an Instagram store, I have a Pinterest store, um, you know. TikTok I think I'm linked I've got all the links in there for you to to get taken back to my store but I haven't advertised there but I advertise on Facebook sometimes too Uh, but yeah don't don't go overboard just touch your toe in the water and see how you go first Uh, if you've got any questions about any of that hit me up I'm happy to answer so um, yeah it's 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 a trial and error kind of situation that one Um, and as you get better at it you'll get better at it you'll you have more people coming in um so uh the second last one that i want to talk about is partnerships for income generation so just say you've got a roadside stall that's a farm stall so you've got a a little um trolley or cart or little room little garden shed out the front of your house because you're on a main road and this only works if you're on a main road obviously i'm not on a main road i can't do this nobody drives down our dirt road um but think about stocking other products in that store and what I mean by that is go to your neighbours and say look I've got a stall I'm selling honey eggs um, and I've got little wall parcels and soap parcels um, is there anything that you sell at the markets or online or you know just a general um, I know guys that do a lot of woodwork craft kind of stuff um there's i don't i don't do wax candles but i know a lot of people that make their own wax candles um craft things like knitted things um stuff like that that um oh even somebody i was i saw somebody at the markets the other way and they do like a um glass inlaid into timber it was awesome things like that if if one of your neighbors is doing something like that by all means hit them up and say look chuck me over a couple items I'll put a price tag on them, put them in there, see how we go. It's, we, we, we no longer have that day. And I've mentioned it earlier. We no longer have the times of fierce competition. Small business owners are just vastly, very quickly discovering that collaboration over competition is far better for everyone. There is more than enough customers out there for everyone. I, I truly believe that, that, you know, you may not be somebody's cup of tea, But uh, your next door neighbour might be. And honestly, doing the right thing by customers and saying, well, my product's not right for you, but here's my next door neighbour's product and that product is right for you. I I honestly believe that the goodwill that you are sending out into the community to say, you know, "I'm I'm not fiercely competitive. I'm not jealous of their products. If their product is better suited to you than my product is, well, by all means, buy their product. Um, sending that goodwill and the good karma out into the universe. I, I'm a very strong believer in karma, and I think that you will get it back threefold. You really will. It'll it'll come back to you. Um, that you are the kind of person who helps customers, whether you're helping them to buy your product or somebody else's. You're still helping product, helping customers, and that is not a bad thing. That will the community remembers and. They, they will love you for it. They will think of you when they do want a product that you sell if you've been that kind of person. Um, you know, but there's, there's other ways that you can do partnership and, and um, things like that as well. You could co- cross-promote. So just say you are advertising somewhere, having, having the advertising costs cut in half by sharing the cost with somebody is not a bad thing. Um, you could join forces for product development. Um, or you could share resources to reduce a, cr- a cost. Um, I think by joining forces, there's a certain potential there too to tap into new markets and expand your reach to new customers, and that can't be a bad thing. You know, examples of what I just said might be that um, you might share a market stall, so you have only half the cost of the market stall, Um, if you are like me and you source products from overseas from big manufacturers and and suppliers, um, you could have a product modified and share the expenses of getting the product to market. If it's something that you would both use and both sell, then why not? Um, Or things like, and I've seen a lot of um, farmers do this in smaller areas, they'll share the costs of expensive equipment and then they share the maintenance costs as well, so it reduces their costs in that term. But they might, you know, have have a an agreement where one week that person's using that equipment, the next week that person's using that equipment, and they share it. Uh, you'd have to obviously have a neighbour that you trust and really get along with, and you would have very equal kind of standing with them to do something like that. I wouldn't suggest going into buying expensive equipment somebody you're not familiar with, but it might be a family member. You could live next door to a your brother uh, on a farm and uh, and share the equipment in that respect. That would be awesome. So there's lots of ways that you can team up with somebody. I know at the moment I'm looking at. I'm about to try and hit up a friend of mine who is a um a property sourcer so she uh, goes around and sources property for people who are not living in the uh, southern New South Wales area Um, she will go and source a property for them before they arrive so it might be somebody moving over from WA which is like three hours away and they can't keep doing trips to go and look at properties and so she will go and source a property for them now the properties she sources are generally urban residential houses uh, but every now and then she does get somebody wanting to live out of town. So I'm going to hit her up and say, look, if they need somebody to give them advice on how to set up their their yard, their orchard, things like that, I'm more than happy to help. So that would be a collaboration in that sense as well. Um, and I just think that, you know, by doing that, I am absolutely going to expand my market as far as you know, they, they may say, oh, look, I'm not really interested in having chooks. You know, I, I want a fruit uh, a fruit tree area. I want a veggie garden, but I'm not interested in having chooks. But I could just buy eggs off you, which would be awesome. Uh, so last one is niche markets. Now, I think my friends in the States. Oh, and a big shout out too. I had a look at my downloads the other day. I have listeners in the Netherlands, in the UK, in um where else was it there was somewhere else that was really out there that i oh um not Canada's not the really out there one it was uh somewhere else um an island group somewhere and i had listeners there as well um i thought i just had you you us and australian listeners but hi to my uk friends and canadian friends and um uh, I i think i had germany and the netherlands Awesome to have you here, thank you. So whichever way you pronounce it, uh, niche or niche market. Um, identifying a unique or niche market that aligns with your homestead specialties can be a, a great way to generate some more income. Um, you need to sit back and ask yourself, are you extremely passionate about something? So like, you know, say pastured livestock, for, for example, pasture raised livestock. Or maybe you are 100% pesticide free, your your soil is super healthy, super organic. Um, That would be something that you could hone in as your thing, as your point of difference. And that should be celebrated. You should really uh, play on that and and really make a big deal out of it. Um, Things like catering to specific dietary needs, such as organic or gluten free, if you're doing up Value-added products, where you're cooking things, Um, focusing on heirloom or rare varieties. So that could be um, heritage chicken birds, which is what I'm trying to get towards, or it could be heirloom tomatoes. You might have a a particular seed of tomato that you've had for some time, might have been handed down through your family, um, and, and you might be growing that tomato and able to sell those seeds as heirloom seeds. Um, and catering to specific customer segments is another one you need to consider so for example restaurants or specialty stores Um, you know I've looked at with my egg production whether or not there's any restaurants in the area as I step it up that I could go to and try and sell to and and there's certainly a vast amount of restaurants Um, I don't want to put all my eggs in the one basket so I would not go I am absolutely going to go all in on giving selling my eggs to restaurants I want customers to buy my eggs as well I want regular households to buy them. But having a restaurant as well as my regular customers would be awesome. That would be, you know, I could be the pastured egg lady. Um, It'd be a great little niche to have. Um, One of the other things uh, that I am extremely passionate about is is good quality pasture-raised meat. So for me, we're trying to do pasture-raised cows and goats and we haven't bothered with sheep. Uh, but chicken meat as well. So all of those animals, my intention is to regeneratively farm them and have them on a rotational pasture um, setup, so that they are able to, you know, live their best life out in the paddock. And that while they may be hand fed in some points, the hand feeding that they will get will be very minimal. And um, it certainly won't be the vast majority of their diet. It would be the very minimum amount of their diet that they would be hand fed for. Now, In doing that, I have also learned much more about the carnivore diet and the keto lifestyle where, you know, pasture-raised, farm grass-raised beef is so much better. Like the meat quality is just so much better. So it may be that for me, my niche might be heading down that pasture-raised cow stock so that I can then target a market of people who are more carnivore in their diets and are more interested in grass-fed beef rather than grain-fed, you know, um, ones ones that have been raised in cattle in feedlots. That might be my niche that I head down. And certainly having that niche market and knowing that niche market and being passionate about that niche market is. Mm-hmm invaluable because you may be talking about it a lot (laughs) to customers so if if gluten-free organic heirloom heritage grass-fed is not your thing don't go down that that line (laughs) because if you do you will be talking about I feel like I talk about pasture-raised chicken eggs all the time and I am super passionate about pasture-raised chicken eggs so I can talk about it all the time but if it's not your thing if it's not something that you can discuss on a daily basis then I would say avoid it because it it probably gets old pretty quick there's other things that I'm not as passionate about um Certainly um, crop farming and veggie gardening, I, I love it and I love doing it for us and I love having the extra to, to maybe sell or, or to hand on to people as gifts, uh, but I couldn't talk about it day in, day out on its own. I can talk about it as a whole of regenerative agriculture, but I couldn't talk about just growing tomatoes. I would go insane talking about just growing tomatoes. It's not my, not my thing. Um, and remember that when you do find your niche, when you, um, find that group of customers that are just as passionate about that product as you are. So like, for example, my carnivore customers, um, when I find them, when I find that little group of customers, um, that keeping them loyal, keeping a loyal, small customer base will lead to higher profit margins because that small loyal band of customers is worth way more over the period of your business than a larger, unengaged group. And that's the same for social media stuff that I talked about before. With Instagram and Facebook, you're far better to have a smaller group of very, very highly engaged customers who love your product and sing its praises from the rooftops, rather than having 10,000 followers and you wouldn't know any of them. They, they don't buy your products. They don't sing your praises. They're just They're just there. They're not actually doing anything. So find your niche market, if, if you've got one, if you've got a passion like that, find it, hone it, grow those customers and make them love your product so much that they tell everybody they know about it. It's, it's an awesome feeling. Certainly with my eggs, I know hearing people talk about my eggs, I actually picked up a customer while I was selling a not of eggs to one of my customers and another person was standing there and going, why are you buying those eggs? Oh my God, like, are they really that much better? And the customer sold the other person a carton of eggs on my behalf, uh, literally, because they they sung the praises so highly that that person was just like, you know what? Give me one of those cartons of eggs. I want to try these. These can't be that good. And she came back and she bought another carton of eggs. So they clearly were that good. Uh, but yeah, it's a great way to go. Anyway. Time's up guys, last, last thing I want to say is make sure, so this is our big, big points, takeaways, diversify your income streams. Uh, It's essential for running a a healthy homestead um, and you will appreciate it down the track. Uh, But remember that every income stream requires planning, marketing, and dedication. So just take into account that you will have some extra time that you have to spend for each of those income streams. So start slow, start small and build up Um, but also make sure that they align with your values and resources and goals Um, it's no good selling you know meat products if you're vegan if you love growing plants and selling plants well that's what you should do Um, if you're not interested in in pasture raised eggs well don't do it if it's not your thing if you don't eat eggs and you can't sing their praises then maybe consider not doing that and doing something that you can sing its praises Um, and that will allow you to watch your income grow slowly and steadily which is what you want you don't want a big jump you want it slow and steady so that you can know your figures know your costs make sure that you're covering your costs as well as increasing your own personal income Um, and so we've discussed things like selling produce value adding agritourism online sales partnerships and niche markets Pick what one is your favourite out of those and hit me up, send me a DM and let me know which one you think is going to be best for you uh, to get that business up and running and get some money coming in. And remember what I said about money. Money's not the enemy. It's not the the boogeyman. Um, we need to not just cover costs. We actually need to make a profit that's appropriate to the work that we do. And as homesteaders and farmers, the work that we do is feeding clothing and caring for the community and Realistically, I mean, Jesus. amongst the carnival groups that I'm in at the moment, they talk about food being the medicine and how if you eat appropriately, you don't have as many medical issues. So realistically, if you're feeding somebody beautiful, quality, organic, pasteurized food, then you're doing more than just feeding them. You're actually improving their health and improving their lifestyle. So why shouldn't you make a profit from it? You absolutely should make a profit. You should make a good profit from it. Farmers should, by all rights, a good farmer should be a millionaire. So we'll see how we go. Anyway, let me know what you thought of that one. Send me a message. Hit me up on the socials at on Instagram or Facebook or Go and have a look at my crazy TikTok videos, which are quite silly sometimes. I don't do any crazy dancing. I'm just going to put that out there. My daughter would like me to, and I just go, no, I draw the line at that. I'm not that silly. Uh, But hit me up there and let me know what you thought. And also let me know what is going to be your um, income stream that you're going to look at to start with. That would be awesome. Anyway, until next week, everybody, I will speak to you all then. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not the Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to Backyard Chicken Keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.